good evening. Uh, my name is Chris Green. I'm Dr. Uh, they call me Doc on the Bible Answers Show. For any of you who get to listen to that, that would be me. And uh, I get to spend the evening with you. And so we've got a lot to go over. And uh, that being the case, I'm going to jump right into it. And we're, we're going to share a voyage tonight. Uh, anybody in the room here on a voyage through life? Uh, maybe a rocky voyage, a smooth voyage. How many are having smooth voyages right now? Get ready for everybody to turn around and look at you as you raise your hand up. Uh, how many of your voyages are not so smooth? Maybe a little rocky, maybe a little bumpy, maybe some owls and what the heck just happened? Anybody having any of those? Okay, uh, more hands went up for that than the first one. Well, I want to share a voyage with you. We're going to be in um, John 4, and we're going to be looking at the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And so if you want to open your Bible up to that section, that'll be great. Uh, but before we do, uh, you know, stories are really important. And stories are important for this reason. Uh, they allow you to know your history. I'm going to share a little bit of my history with you. Uh, my wife, Wendy, and I, uh, we used to go to a church in Orange called North Orange Christian Church. And yay, North Orange Christian. Anybody go there? Anybody hear of it? Anybody know about it? No? Not really? Well, in fact, um, we went to church with some friends there. My brother-in-law was an elder there, Tom. And uh, there's a couple people, Tom Alkima, who goes to church here. He used to go to North Orange, as well as Pastor Michael and his wife, Brenda. We all went to North Orange Christian Church years and years and years ago. And we moved out here well over 20 years. And um, what did we do first? Well, I think we beat Mike and Brenda out here. We kept going back to North Orange. And then Michael came out and Cesar Chavez Elementary School. You guys get to hear the history of Pastor Michael and Corona because our paths intertwine. And so we had a little fellowship there. And there's this guy named Charles. Uh, who had came, he had a great voice, and he'd set up his speakers, and he'd learn, lead worship, and there's like maybe six of us, maybe seven. Uh, and then there's a church over that way in town. I forget what town, what road that is. Uh, I think it's called um, uh, uh, Corona Bible Church CBC at that time. And it was a church plant of um, uh, Calvary Santa Ana. And so they are in need of a pastor. Like it turns out that churches need pastors in Corona, and so Michael became the pastor there, and we started going to that church. Well, sometime down the road, we moved over to the um, Seventh-day Adventist church that's up, I think that's on Main or up that way. Uh, we were there for a while, and then we came down to the building here on Lincoln and Railroad, uh, right there on the corner. Originally, that was Vineyard. I don't know if you know that, but the Vineyard was there. Uh, pastor Twyman, I think is is Bill Twyman. Uh, they were there before we were, and then we moved in there, and uh, we were there for some time, and then the two churches came together up on Lincoln, and then eventually we landed here. So, um, CCC, CBC, LTF, I've kind of been around this church for a while, and the Lord has uh, brought me in and out in seasons. I've served as an elder here, uh, and then my wife and I went to um, Durango, Colorado uh, about nine years ago, and we were there for about eight years, and the Lord really had us and especially me on a path uh, of refinement and um, be careful what you pray for because uh, 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 it may not end the way that you think it will and I don't mean that in a bad way but kind of in a bad way because how many of you have gone through growing times in your life and like it's really not fun it's not fun like from the flesh it's not fun uh, but, but he sustains you through it all right? Any amens on that? Yeah, but he does that. And so this Christian walk is not for the faint of heart. It really isn't, um, but that's okay, because if you are faint of heart, he brings brothers and sisters alongside. And by the way, brothers and sisters, that's what you're to do. In the Hebrew, the word is ach, and it means I got your back. You don't have to worry. I won't stick a knife in it I'll make sure nobody does. That's what that word means in Hebrew, by the way. And when I say in the Hebrew, that's what God means by that word. So that's a solemn responsibility. 
Um, and I hope you all have. I've been blessed to have brothers and sisters come along my side and do just that when most needed. So um, I want to share a journey with you in, in a story tonight that comes out of the Bible. And one of the things, where's my clicker? One of the things that's happened um, as I've come to learn the Hebrew language and I deal with rabbis quite a bit, um, there's a certain gentleman uh, in this church who's passed not so long ago. And I don't know how I got to know him, but I just started getting emails from him. And I think it's because I had taught on some um, Hebrew stuff here a while back, a couple years ago. And so we started passing emails back and forth, and it's Dave, is your husband. And um, so I was just on the phone with the Rebbe today. And so through Dave, Dave was like, you get, I'm going to say his name, Rok- Rokel, am I saying it? Reckley, thank you for correcting me. I apologize for butchering your last name. Reckley. So Dave was like, you got to meet the chief Rebbe. There's a chief Rebbe here. There, um, it, it would be like um, in the Catholic Church, like, I don't know, an archbishop, like not the Pope, but almost. Because there's rabbis, and then there's a Rebbe that's over rabbis, and there's only 50 Rebbes in the world. And so there's a Rebbe here, and Dave knew him. And uh, Dave's like, you've got to meet him, you've got to meet him. And so now, um, Chief Rebbe and I have become friends. I was just on the phone with him today. And we walk these paths that we have no idea what the Lord's weaving together. But they happen nonetheless. But we've got to be listening to him. We've got to hear his voice. We've got to draw near to him. Because if we're off over here, and he's there, we're not going to hear much. And so we have to draw near. And we have to know the stories so that we can see patterns and we can see things that he's trying to reveal to us through his word because he does. So on the screen behind me, pretty neat, Proverbs 25, 2, it says it's the glory of God to what? Conceal things. Huh? He hides stuff. Hide and seek. He does. Has he hidden things in your life? for you to find through times of refinement, and then you're like, you know, it's kind of like the V8 thing. If I'd only known, I would have like got my act together a long time ago. Anybody have that experience? Or how about this one? All right, I'm 53. So how about this one? You gotta be kidding me. It took me 50 some odd years to finally learn this. Like how many times did I have to thunk my head into the wall and I am so envious of people who like, like, like you, who get to know the Lord like so early on and just have that. Fortunate, really fortunate. So he says that he likes to conceal things, but it's the glory of kings, and we get in on that, to do what? To find them out. All right, so that slide, bummer. It's not doing what it was supposed to do. It's supposed to rotate, and you see the light shine through those. Those are in the Hebrew, the Atarat Hadavarim, the Ten Commandments. Yeah, we don't have it quite right. So we have pictures of Moses coming down with these sandstone, granite, whatever they are. You know what the Jewish tradition is? They're blue sapphire tablets. Huh? And the light shines through them, and you can read the words from either side. I like that. That's kind of cool, huh? I mean, after all, the cities are paved with what? You think he's going to make tablets with the commandments on them out of some raggedy old-looking thing? No, 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 no. So next time, that will be spinning. So let's dig into this. Uh, Tonight, what I want to talk to you about is finding peace in times of chaos. Certainly doesn't apply today, does it? Are we in times of chaos? Would you say? Huh? Yeah, you can look around the world, but you know what? You don't have to look around the world. Look in homes. Look in countries. Look in businesses. Look in churches. Is there chaos in churches even? Hmm? So chaos is not something that's just, you know, what's going on the, um, the news channel, because you always find that. Chaos is everywhere. It defines life in many ways. So we're going to see what it is. How do you find peace 
how do you go about doing this thing? All right, click, are you going to work? Hey, did you guys see the laser when he was doing the announcements? That was me. <laughs> don't, don't give me a laser. I'm gonna be, I didn't shine in anybody's eyes, though. I was careful about that. Oh, man, back up, rewind. Hold on, there we go, perfect. All right, so before we do anything, I want to help get your head space, your head into a certain space, and it's this. Imagine you're in a coffee shop, all right, and you speak Spanish, and there's two couples behind you, and they've just gotten their citizenship, they're naturalized citizens, and they're really excited, and they're speaking in their native tongue because it's easier to converse. And so you listen to them tell about this guy named Pablo Revere, and he rode a burro to the cantina, where they had three chimeneras going and talking about King George, not King Edward. And they got the story pretty much right. I mean, it's it, 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 no harm, no foul. But if they were to start to walk that out and that it's King George, I'm pretty sure of Spain. I might have my names mixed up, mixed up. But if they think it's Spain, not England, and then they start to develop understanding of American culture on those misunderstandings, things would start to go in the wrong direction real quick. How's that happen? When you're removed by language, and you're removed by culture, and you don't really know it because, you know, it's not yours because it's not. You didn't, you didn't grow up with it, and you don't speak the language. It's easy to make mistakes. So much of what we study in the Bible is coming from what culture? Jewish? Yeah. And what language? Hebrew? Yeah. And so the challenge is this. The challenge becomes that if we don't recognize that we approach a lot of the Bible with a bias, and the bias is simply we speak English and we're Americans. Go USA, we're number one. You know, that's a bias. Because you go in other countries in the world and they, they may not think America's number one, and that's fine. And it's not really something to argue about. It's good to be proud of who you are. But on the other hand, don't narrow your vision so much that you limit yourself from understanding a bigger picture that might be going on. So we're gonna jump in to this story of the woman at the well. And do you all have those sheets that I had you pass out? Awesome. Because one of the things that I do um, from time to time is the courts bring me in uh, as expert witness in cases. Um, sometimes they're pretty significant. People have strokes and that kind of stuff and they want me to chime in. And so I have to really research all the studies out there, and, and I gotta know what I'm talking about. Um, a, for the jury, so that I can inform them. But if you've ever seen those shows when people get cross-examined, man, if you're not ready, it is not fun. <laughs> That'll make you look really dumb, and uh, it's not an enjoyable experience, so I like to be ready, because uh, I don't like to have that happen. Uh, so, in the same way, we're gonna jump into this story, and I'm gonna just pick it up with verse one, and I want you to do this. I want you to have a critical mind. And I want you, uh, I already gave you some of the points that we're going to catch on that sheet, and you're going to see it in a minute. But I want you to work through this story with me and say, yeah, what about Judea and Samaria and Sychar? And, and when he says a Jew, like, like so a, a Jew is a great example. So a Jew could be like a Jew by faith, or a lot of times we call people who live in Israel Jews. Uh, doesn't mean their nationality. Or you're going to see another kind of Jew in just a minute. And so there's different kinds of Jews. Which one is it? We need to know because it makes a difference. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. So you're going to see that in just a minute. So here we go. Bingo. So now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, how many of you have verse 2 in your Bible in parentheses? Yeah. It's called a parenthetical statement. And so what that means is it's not in the original text. The reason it's there, like, well, why is it not in the original text? Because whoever edited your Bible or in the version you have, NIV, ESV, whatever you got, um, a parenthetical statement is just simply the editor saying, you know what, this makes a difference, you should really know this. 
And we want you to know that we put this in there so that you don't read it like it's part of the scripture. Um, so know that, but also know that we're drawing your attention to something. It's like saying, hey, you need to know this. So that's what that parenthetical statement is. And um, so it says, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Okay, he left Judea, he left Judea, and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. All right, so what do we got going on so far? He left this place called Judea. How many, by a show of hands, how many know where Judea is? All right, woohoo, we're going to find out. Yay, not many hands went up. That's a problem. And he had to pass through Samaria. Who knows where Samaria is? Okay, a couple went up. More on that one. <laughs> so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. All right, not a trick question, but you all know that this is not 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., right? Yeah? So why do I say that? Well, it's probably not 6 a.m., man. He would have had to have gotten a really early start if that were the case, that he's already wearied, and it's not 6 p.m. either. Why do I say that? We're on a Hebrew day, which starts in the evening. So it starts at 6 o'clock in the evening. That's the new day, like midnight. And so 12 hours later, midday, would be 6 in the morning. That's midday. So 6 hours later, the 6th hour, 6 o'clock in the morning plus 6 hours would be what? I'm a clock. 12 o'clock. High noon. Oh, that makes sense. He's weary and he's hot. Okay, so it's high noon. I answered that one for you. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A woman from Samaria or of Samaria. Parenthetical statement for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, so let's just stop there. So what do we got that's on your sheet? Judea, got to figure it out because we just read through like a quarter of this story and there's so many facts here that we're not clear on and the question becomes, are they relevant? Let me ask you this question. You think God puts anything into his word that doesn't have significance? What do you think? Not a trick question. Me neither. And he doesn't? You know, the rabbis, when they study, do you know they believe that the space between the words even has significance? The space between the letters. Huh, wow. That's, that's an amazing thought. So what do we got? Judea, Samaria, Sychar, sixth hour, a Jew, a Samaritan. Let's do this. Let's start digging into all these things. We want to find out why it is that a woman from Samaria would have no dealings with a man who's a Jew. We want to know what's going on with this midday thing. We want to know if there's details that are going to help us to understand the story of this journey better. So here's what we're going to do. Where did that come from? Oh, you know what? You're, um, I'm clicking your... <laughs> this is the lyrics for the worship and praise. And so I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, all right, perfect. Thank you. We're much better now. I was like, I didn't put that stuff on there. Okay. So we're going to do a little bit of exploration. And the first thing we're going to do, let me throw a little bit of information out for you. So Judea, my wife, every time I tell her this, she's like, I get a headache when you explain this to me. All right, ready? Israel is to the north. Judea is in the south. Israel, northern kingdom. Judea, southern kingdom. Here's the headache. Jerusalem, what country is that in? Israel, right? But it's not in Israel, like what we're going to talk about. It's in Judea. That's the headache part. So just remember that the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, doesn't have Jerusalem. That's probably the biggest trip up. 
it's in the south. It's where Judea is. Okay, so the northern kingdom, 10 tribes. The southern kingdom, two tribes. Judah and, who knows the other one? Benjamin. Benjamin. Good job. Benjamin. So, two tribes in the south. Okay, just get that one out of the way. All right, so the first thing we have to know about is this timeline of when there was one kingdom. Who knows when there was one kingdom? Who was the king? David, and who else? Solomon. Solomon, right there. I had to read to you about Solomon. This is 2 Chronicles 6, 13-14. It says, Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Could you imagine having a leader that kneels before the entire nation and prays to God? Huh? How cool would that be if we had a leader like that? That was Solomon. That was Solomon. What happened to Solomon? And he said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with what? All their heart. They're his servants. That's us. That's you and me. We're to walk before him with all of our heart in his face. And so it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire what? came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. What must have that been like? Like are you so looking forward to the day when we have that experience when we're in the presence of the glory of the Lord? I mean it had to have been amazing. So it says, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Well, that was awesome, and that was really cool, but that's not the way it ended with Solomon. 1 Kings 11 I'm going to verse 9. So if you want to make a note of that or keep up with me, that's where I'm going. And I'm going to read it to you. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. Who knows how many the grand total of wives and concubines that he had. Anybody know? Wives and just rounded off to a thousand. <laughs> My goodness. And what did he do? Because they were from all the lands that he was not to take away from. And what did he do in regards to their gods? And worshipped them all. Like Solomon. Well, how does that happen? And so we were talking earlier. And one of the things that we can gain from having hindsight on the life of Solomon is anybody who says, oh, well, it never happened to me. I'm too smart for that. Really. And Solomon was the what? The wisest man. A thousand. What? Like 900 wasn't enough? My goodness. So, Solomon. Mm -mm -mm. And he did all the gods that they worshipped. So he dies in 922. And so these two guys, Jeroboam, and Rehoboam, I got a slide for this. Ta-ding! Okay, so God says to Solomon, because of your father David, I'm not going to rip the kingdom out of your hand, but I'm going to do it to your son. Hmm? And he says, and I'm not going to take it from him entirely, but I'm going to divide it, and it's going to be a divided kingdom. And he finds this guy, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Jeroboam is chosen to be the king of ten tribes. He becomes the king of the northern kingdom. And Rehoboam is the king of the southern kingdom, which is where Jerusalem is, the one that's not called Israel. <laughs> so we'll get that down before this is over. All right. So Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Well, Rehoboam, he wants to make things nice between them. I'm going to read to you out of 2 Chronicles 10, 3-5. It 
It says, uh, and Jeroboam and all Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, come to me again in three days. Let me think about this. Does anybody know the story? So he goes and he consults with the elders, the old dudes, the guys with gray hair. Why? Because they have wisdom. And here's what they say to him. You know, it's a good idea to lighten the load a little bit. You know, we got, it's going to be a rough go. It used to be one kingdom, Solomon, and now there's two of you. And it's far better that the kingdoms are united in harmony together than adversaries. Make nice. Lighten the load. What could it hurt? That was the advice. All right, young guys, no knock. But he goes to his buddies, and they go, You set them straight. You tell them who's boss. Well, here's what he did. So Jeroboam, chapter 10, 2 Chronicles 12 to 14. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered them harshly, and forsaking the counsel of the old men, King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I, I'll add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Huh. And it goes on, doesn't end there. Did he make nice? Mm, not really. So now we've got these kingdoms divided. And here they are. And I want to get some of the geography here. And, and the one I want to focus on, so you can see where Jerusalem is. Yeah, in Judea. You see that red dot? Okay. Right there. Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And then if you look just above it, below where the S on Israel, it says Bethel. Bethel. And then if you look way up at the top, it says Dan. All right? So here's Jeroboam's thinking. So in Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says, three times in the year, your males shall present themselves before the Lord at Pesach, Passover, Shavuot, Pentecost, or weeks, and then the gathering, the um, tabernacles, or the ingathering. So at these three, Leviticus 23, at these three feasts of the Lord, all males must present before the Lord for those things. And guess where they go? Jerusalem. So like if you got all the um, Chick-fil-A's, yeah, well, they're closed on Sunday. Um, well, that wouldn't matter for them. So, because <laughs> it's Saturday. That's a joke. And so um, if you got all the fast food and stuff, well, man, you, you're in business because everybody's coming to Jerusalem. And Rehoboam's like, yes. They got to come to me. And Jeroboam's, no, we can't have that. So if you go to um, 2 Kings, is it 2 Kings? Hold on, hold on, hold on, let me catch up. 1 Kings 12, 25. All right, let me get there too. 1 Kings 12, 25. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Here we go. 1 Kings 12, 25. Almost there, almost there, almost there. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, okay, this is him talking to himself. All right, he's off. Set the scene. Hmm, this isn't good. I got to come up with a plan. And this is what he says. Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. He means back to Jerusalem, meaning his kingdom, the northern kingdom, because they got to go. And he says, if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they'll kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. I can't have that. Like, I'm the king. I'm the king, is what he's saying. So the king took counsel and he made two what? Anybody there? Calves of gold. Okay, is this a bad idea? 
Oh, oh, calves of gold, you know, it's like Sesame Street. One of these things is just like the others. You know, there's a problem here. Did they do calves of gold in the past? Where? Sinai. How did it work out? Those sapphire, beautiful, oh my gosh, the sapphire tablets. It's a different story when it's sapphire, huh? And they get broken. Ah! <laughs> the sapphire tablets. They've done this before. He doesn't do one. He does two. Drive through convenience. You know why? He puts one in Bethel for all the people who are down in the southern part of the kingdom. And he puts one up in Dan. Hey, just so you don't have to go all the way down to Bethel, we got two. And if you want to go and swap and switch and see the one in Dan or Bethel, no, we got two. They only got the one temple. Jeroboam, that's what he did. Huh? So he's got them worshiping what? A golden calf. Idols. How's this going so far? How far are we from David? How many generations? So, for Rehoboam, David is his who? It's his granddaddy. And he's already doing, now of course this is Jeroboam, but he does just this awful of stuff. All right. What do you think of this so far? Good story, bad story? What? Important to know? So it says, in the 12th year, I'm in 17 of 2 Chronicles, verse 1 and 2. In the 12th year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, began to reign in Samaria over Israel, and he reigned nine years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Well, he's not that bad. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Samaria. So look, check out this picture. This is what they would do to him. They'd, <laughs> come on. <laughs> hey, but that was the Bible answer show. <laughs> All right. So they would put rings through either their lip or their nose. And I mean, it was awful. How would you like to be taken away in exile like that? That's the way it went down. Gives you a whole nother thought about maybe putting a ring or through your lip or your nose. You know they used to do that. And that's why they do it, because they'd put a rope through it and do that with you. Just saying. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, but they would not listen, but were stubborn. Does that sound like today? Huh? As their fathers had been who did not believe the Lord their God. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves, and they made an Asherah. So that's uh, to the goddess Asherah, Eshtoret. Well, we won't go there. And worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. Like getting them all. Bring your gods in. We worship all gods. We're an equal, we're an equal God employer in this place. Uh, well, not here. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings. Nice. And used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to, to anger. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon. Oh, yeah, let's stop before we go there. All right, so what's happened? Let's go to our sheet and see if we might put in a couple notes. Okay, Judea and Samaria. Got a little bit better feel of those two places now? Because Judea is the southern kingdom, Rehoboam, and Jerusalem's there. All right? Samaria is a general area. It's the mountain region in the northern kingdom. And so it's like saying the, um, the Sierras in California. So we wouldn't say that the Sierras are a place, although they are. Um, but we don't talk, to, talk about them in that sense in California. And in fact, isn't it interesting that for a lot of people outside of California, if we said, yeah, we went to the Sierras, they'd be like, what? Well, where's that? I didn't see it on the map. You know, so you have to be familiar. Remember culture and language. There can be um, a bias because you're just not familiar with the culture and the language. So Samaria is that sort of thing. Syker's a place there. We already talked about the time. A Jew, okay. 
So the southern kingdom is called what? Oh, it's not on there. Judea. So a Jew could also be speaking of a Judean. A Jew. A Judean. Are you a Jew like a religious Jew? Are you a Jew like a modern-day Israeli? Or are you a Jew like in the sense of a Judean? Can you see how there's a difference? And so if you use that term not knowing that there's multiple distinctions that that could be applying to, and the person who's speaking it to you is speaking of it in a specific way, and you say, and they say, now you know, you know what I mean by, by Jew, right? And you go, huh? And, and they think that you do when they're assuming you mean Judea, Judean, and you like don't even know that there is a distinction. Can you see how that's relevant? So we're going to see that unfold in just a minute because we're going to plug all these pieces in. All right, so a Jew and then a Samaritan. Now, here's why I wanted to stop because we're about halfway through our sheet and I want to make sure that... Is that clear for you guys? Am, am I losing you or are you keeping up with me? Yeah? Are you good? Do you like this? Do you like doing this? Okay. I do. You're going to see in a minute why. Okay. It says, and the king of Assyria, okay, so they hauled him off. Hey, we're going for a walk. I'm taking you for a walk against your choice. So he took them away, all of them, gone. Phew, you're out of here. So he hauled them all off. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and Kutha and Ava and Hamat and Sepharvim and places and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. So the people who are now in Samaria, are they, um, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, if you're a person in a kingdom? What do they call you? Uh, not a servant, but a, what? a subject. So are they subjects of the kingdom of Israel that are there now? And the answer is no. He's like brought in all these people from all those outside places. So now the Samaritans are not descendants of Jacob. Does that make sense? Because they've been hauled off. They're gone, right? They are no more. And those are the lost ten, the lost ten tribes, by the way. It says, so they took position, possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore... <laughs> All right, well, apparently at that time, I don't know, maybe some people would think this wouldn't be such a bad thing now. But apparently at that time, if you didn't fear the Lord, guess what he did? He sent big kitty cats to come and see you. <laughs> and he did. He sent lions, and <laughs> they started killing some of them. Uh-oh. So these people, um, they figured it out. And they realized they were in a place they shouldn't be. How'd they know? Because the God of that land was having the wildlife dine on them. So then the king of Assyria commanded, he said, send there one of the priests, one of the Leviim, a Levite. He says, send one of the priests whom you carried away from there and let him go there and dwell and teach them the law of the God of the land. Maybe that'll work. Well, it did. They kept worshiping their gods, but they, got a, they, they did enough and I'm not going to try and walk this out any further, but they did enough so that God no longer vexed them with lions. Things quieted down. So the people who are in Samaria, are they descendants of Jacob? And the answer is what? No. They're foreigners. They're not of the tribes. But they also know some of the ways of the Lord, right? Because a Leviim, a priest, came in and taught them. Huh. So they know enough to be dangerous, and they still worship their other stuff too. Does that sound like people in our culture today? Are there people that do that, that kind of play both sides of the fence? Um, I don't know. I'll let you decide that for your own. So uh, he said, it says, this is verse 29, and I'm still in, uh, where am I, Second uh, Chronicles 17. And it says, but every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. All right, so that was the northern kingdom. 
They go into exile, right? And then they bring all these folks in that are from all over the place and worship all of their gods. And now they're Samaritans. Huh? Samaritans. All right, hello, Samaritans. That's where it says Samaritan question mark. That's what a Samaritan is. Huh? And so now we get to take care of Judah, the southern kingdom. Roll forward to... All right, let's see what we're going to get on this slide change. <laughs> hey! <laughs> this is all kinds of fun. I'm having more fun than you guys probably are <laughs> I've got to tell you when I get to speak different in like remote places it never works the technical stuff I've just come to I used to lecture to doctors I'd have like audience of like a lot um, because I was an early um, uh, implementer of what are called electronic health records and so I had tablets before they had tablets. Um, I would have some of the computer companies like demo and beta test them because I was doing this stuff with electronic health records. And so I'd have this thing, it was a full PC that was a tablet. They have them now too, but they didn't then. And it was like a, um, uh, an iPad. And so I'd be walking around and I'd be controlling the screen and nobody had stuff like that. So they were just amazed. They're like, are you doing that from that thing you've got? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, wow, that's so cool. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work very often, though. <laughs> so it's kind of like what's happening tonight. Um, it's kind of fun. So here we are in Jeremiah 18, 11, 12. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Who just said that? God Almighty is speaking this to a people, to a kingdom, the southern kingdom. If that were you, would you go, mm -hmm. I would, I think. I don't know, maybe if I was where they were. I don't know how they got to where they were. He says, return every one of you from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. Is he saying escape clause? Repent. Amen. Repent. He's saying repent. I'm warning you. I'm like, I can never believe in a God that would go and to people. He doesn't do that to people. He warns you. He tells you you're on the wrong path and you're going to go over the cliff. And I'm letting you know before it happens so that you can, right? So you can return, so you can shuv, so you can repent. And he says in verse 12, it says, but they say that is in vain. That's what they said back. We will follow our own plans. Huh? We're talking about that, right? We will follow our own plans because we're so smart and we've got it all figured out. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? What kind of person does that? Like you got to be more than a being short of a burrito. Like your brain's got to be fried to say that this is the smart way to go. But they did. Jeremiah 2, 12 to 13. If you can get there, hey, it worked. Hey, it worked. If you can get there, read this with me. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. Here they come. You ready? They have forsaken me, the fountain of what? living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water that's what they've done that's what's bringing judgment upon them all right so let's just pause for a moment so living water like what's living water just throw it out what do you guys think what are living water like that's a weird phrase like what is like do you buy it at the, is there a living water store and you go and buy water there like no it's not that like what's it mean what is living water what do you think word of god okay word of god what else somebody said jesus 
And gives what? Life. life. Any other thoughts? Anybody got like some kind of like uh, really like spiritual perspective on that that you might be embarrassed to share, but it's okay to share it that you want to just share? Anybody? Say what? Bingo. So there's two kinds of life. So scripture is clear about this. The life is in the blood for this body. And there's another kind of life, and it's eternal life. And where that is sustained from, so what the blood is to the body, living water is to your soul, to your spirit, to the eternal part. So as precious is blood not precious? Yeah. So much that they have blood drives. The gift of life is to donate blood. Blood is a very, very precious commodity when it's needed to sustain life. When there's a blood shortage, it's a big deal. People could die. And say, the same holds true is if there is a blood shortage, but the other kind, the living water. Hmm? But does he run the supply short of living water? No. But imagine... If I donate my blood to sustain life and people show up with bags that have holes that leak it out just as fast as it goes in. Blood's precious. I don't have that much to give. I can spare some, but not a lot. Now, I don't mean to say that God has limits on what he can share in regards to living water, but there's a comparative value as far as the flesh and the spirit. And so, when he takes such exception to this issue of living water, living water, it sustains eternally precious stuff. Who wants some of it? Hmm? I do. Hmm? So now, let's go to our sheet and let's fill in whatever blanks we haven't filled in yet. Because now we're going to do a little courtroom stuff, and you're going to like it. It'll be fun. Okay? Jews having no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so are Samaritans of Jacob? And the answer is what? No. Not only that, but they're not of Jacob, but they have a little bit of religious knowledge, and they butcher it to where it becomes offensive. For those who cherish it. So it's like people when you see them burn and stomp and do all the terrible things that they do to the American flag. To the person who that flag means something, it's terribly offensive. It's only a flag. What's the big deal? Well, your premise is wrong. It's not just a flag. It's far more than that. Right? And so in the same way, the Word of God, it's far more than just words. It's the Word spoken forth by the Creator that speaks creation into existence. It's that. And so it's a big deal to them. And so a Samaritan is an affront because, just like you, they know these stories. They know about Rehoboam. They know about Jeroboam. They know about Solomon. King David, King David, we're talking about David. They know that. They know all this stuff. And so when a person is a Samaritan, it just makes them do this. Not because of the individual necessarily, but because of all of that history that's loaded into it. Everything, and by the way, it's not like if you're a Judean, like you're innocent, right? Because... The northern kingdom went first. The southern, read Jeremiah. In the face of that, knowing all the stuff that they did, they did it anyways. Wow, which is worse? Being the first guy to do it or the guy that knows everything that the first guy did and you do it in spite of that? Knowing that exile is coming. Which one's worse? 
I'd have to say the second. So it's not like they're innocent or they have some way to look down their nose. The whole thing's kind of an ugly story. So then we get into the story of these five husbands. I want to talk about those for just a moment. We're not going to read it. I think you know it well enough to know that Jesus dialogues with her and she's asking about this living water. And she's talking about like, all right, I got a jar, but it sounds like really good stuff. Should I go get another one? She's thinking like you're going to fill up. Five gallons, 10 gallons, how much do I need? And he's talking on a different level. She's thinking this type of life. He's talking about this kind of life. He's talking about the spiritual. And so he kind of gets her attention. And he says, you've had five husbands. Remember that? And he says, and the one you're with right now, thank you, the one you're with right now, he's not your husband. I want you to think about something. Asherah, groves to Asherah, Molech, burning their children, that's Samaria. All the wickedness, all of the gods. So a term for a god, Baal, Baali, is also, um, uh, that word is used to mean master or husband. Baali, master, husband. You've had a lot of husbands. Samaria. He's talking on what level? The spiritual. You've played around. You've sought water, and you got it all wrong. He says to her, if you knew who you were speaking to, you'd ask for what kind of water? Living water. Jeremiah, you have forsaken the living water, and you've come with broken cisterns. They don't hold this kind of water. You guys don't get it. I give a water that's for an entirely different purpose. Ah. So when he says five husbands, I don't mean to say that he categorically is not saying that she has had physically had five husbands, although that may be true. But what we know for sure is Samaria sure had five husbands, and they're still doing it. He says, because the one that you live with isn't your husband. Because guess who is? Who is her husband? Who wants to marry her? Who wants to marry us? He does. Can you see how they're like two ships? And he's like, how about if I say this to you? How about if I say this? How about if I say this? I know where you're from. I know you're from Samaria. I know your whole story. I know about Jeroboam. I know about Rehoboam. I know that you had the two calves. I know Ashtoreth. I know Moloch. Disgusted me when you guys did that. This is the person who's saying this to her. And he knows the whole story. And so you can start to see why it's so important that we know the whole story because although we may not have had five husbands, now in past times you'd say, well, you're a guy. Of course you didn't have husbands. Well, I guess now you could. Um, five. <laughs> oh, yeah. But we're not talking about those kind of husbands. We're not talking about those kind of husbands. The kind of husbands we're talking about are this, well, not that kind, but G with a little G God husbands. Who's had other husbands? Huh? Right? We all could raise our hands because before committing to Jesus, you had somebody or something that you were married to. And right now, if you're still married to something, you still, the one you are with, it's not your husband. That's what he means by that. That's what he's saying. And so if we don't know these stories, we can't see the nuance and the beauty that's being portrayed in this story. So in verse 20, check this out. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Where are they? Samaria near Bethel, where that golden calf used to be. And all the other, I mean, she could have, they could have been anywhere, and they had gods on every hill. They had Asherah on every hill. 
So when she, when she says, we used to worship on this hill, and he's just like, I know, I know you did, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm the one that you're to worship. And um, she says, but you say in Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. She's starting to get it. Huh? She's starting to get it. And so let's go to the end of the story. So it says, um, the woman answered um, for you. Okay, let me go to verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation, salvation in Hebrew, Yeshua, Jesus is how you say that word, is from the Jews, from the Judeans, from the tribe of what? Judah. He's a Jew. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Oh, it's what he's been talking the whole time with her about spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Mashiach is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes... He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am him. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, why do you seek her? What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman, all right, this is like the coolest part of this whole story, and now you can get it. So the woman did what? What does she leave? A cistern that doesn't hold the kind of water that she needs. You think that was by accident? You think that was for our benefit? You think she got it? I don't know. What did she do? She went into town and said what? Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. All that we ever did. Samaria. All that I ever did, all that we ever did. Can this be the Christ? And what did they do? They came out to the town to meet him. All right, so final verse. So Baali can mean a husband, master. You've had a lot of Baalis. And the one that you have now, he's not your husband either. Because who is? He's calling to you. He's calling to us. All right. And in that day, this is Hosea, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and you'll no longer call me what? Baali, Baalim, God's. For I will remove the names of the Baalim from her mouth, and they shall be rem remembered by name no more. If you don't know the whole story, if you don't know all of these layers, Rehoboam, the southern kingdom, Jeroboam, the northern kingdom, the golden calves, they're worshiping all of these Baals, gods that are not gods but they worshiped him and so then he comes to this woman who's representative of all of that and he says i know you've had a lot of gods the one you got now is not your god either because i am and that's why he says to her if you knew what who it was that sits before you today you would have asked, and he would have done what? Given it to you. So what do we need to do? Ask. Just ask. And do what? Depart those husbands. Because they're not husbands. They never were, and they never could be. You only have one. Hmm. And so...
That's our look at the story of the woman at the well. So let me ask you this. Is that a different perspective than you had before? Hmm? How do you like it? Cool, right? Well, we're done for tonight. Man, spot on 8.30. I ran you a little few minutes short, uh, long, so sh- sorry, Shane, wherever you are. So let me tell you a little bit about my journey, and I'll just share this last thing with you, and it's this. So I very much have had the Lord draw me into studying his word this way. And it's really changed my life a lot. And, and um, I've been doing a work for quite some time, and I'm about to release a book that very much takes the way that I just walked you through the text and adds so much more because I'm able to share with you the nuances of the Hebrew language. And so if you have an interest in it, there's a website up there. You can uh, go to it. You can um, put your name on our list. We're going to be releasing the book soon. And also, if you put your name on that list, uh, I'll make sure that I send you notes from tonight as well. So if you want notes, uh, I'll send them to you, and I'll keep you in the loop. I really enjoyed this time with you. Uh, What a blessing. What a a blessing it is to study God's Word and walk it out. So um, thank you. And I'll turn everything over to Shane, and I'll let him wrap us up for tonight. So thank you.